Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Who Are You podcast by BiotropicLabs.com. Sports performance supplements for people who move. Use the code PODCAST20 if you want to try something out. The burden of proof is on me. And as always, a satisfaction guarantee. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Appreciate checking in again. This is part two of our discussion about plant-based healing with Keith Norris, founder of PaleoFX. Come on in and check it out. Before we go further, explain what psilocybin is. Sure. Uh, so psilocybin is the active, uh, the active component, uh, the psychedelic component in mushrooms, magic mushroom. So that, so that's who Terence McKenna is, and he's uh, was a very, very intelligent human being. He was the one, and the, and the specific book was Food of the Gods, and I recommend that book to anybody who is looking to to jump into uh, using plant medicines or psychedelics for therapeutic use. It's a fabulous book. All books by Terrence McKenna were awesome, but that just happened to be the book that I said, I read and I said to myself, there is more to these substances than just a good time. And about that time, I was really looking into, I was always been interested in psychology. I've always been interested in the psychology of coaching, how to get into people's heads. At that time, it was athletes, how to get in their heads and to get the most out of them. Because many people don't realize it, Athletes are individuals too, right? And I've, I've always said that, you know, I have coached some, some 40-year-old uh, soccer moms who were mentally more tough than some athletes I coach. And it's true. I mean, it's just, just because they are gifted athletes does not mean that they are emotionally gifted. A lot of times they're not. All that is to say that you can't, each individual athlete has to be coached a certain way. And every coach that I came across I was very, very lucky coming up that I, that I was exposed to some excellent coaches, especially so in college. And one particular coach in college, really, I, I was like, how does he know exactly how to coach each individual and coach an entire team? And it fascinated me because I could see him in the moment, like shape-shifting, being the person that athlete needed at that time to get the most out of that athlete. And I was fascinated by that. And so that combined with reading Terrence McKenna, that really lit my fire. And I was like, I know that there is a way to A, help coach people using these substances and B, coach myself using these substances. Pretty avant-garde really at that time. Maybe. And I mean, and, it, and I still didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know, but I knew there was a connection there. I saw the connection and I, I really saw the ability to use these substances in a therapeutic method for myself because I still had, and I, I still do, have many, many issues that I am attempting to work through. And I've worked through a bunch with these substances, same substances, but in a different set and setting and with a different intention going in. So I was very well versed at what dose would have this kind of effect. I knew that just from back in the party days. But now it's like, okay, I want this effect, but I want it in the proper set and setting, and I want to do something positive with it. Now I've got something to work with. So that transition was, was going on, and I still didn't have a group I could associate with. This was still kind of just on my own doing. It wasn't until I got to Austin and I was starting to really deep dive into the Peruvian culture and shamanism in general. And I really became fascinated with this brew from, from the jungle called ay- ayahuasca. 
and I thought it was fascinating. And I, I read about it and in two years, I studied everything that I could about this substance, everything. And then lo and behold, I was training Whitney Miller, who we, who we <laughs> both know. Whitney, if, if people don't know, just a, short, a very short bio on her, a type A personality, highly, highly competitive young lady, competed in a beauty contest just because she was like, yeah, that's something else I can win too. Won that, wound up being, I can't remember. I think it was Miss Texas, wasn't it? It was Miss Texas, but then she went on and won whatever the- The, the next big thing is. Uh, and I can't remember the pageant. Sorry, Whitney. She won that. And then she had to do the year-long tour after that, right? As the reigning, as the reigning queen. And she hated that because she was like, I am not this little beauty queen. You know, I'm an athlete. I do other things. And she was really tired of putting on the beauty queen persona. So when she left that, she did a total 180 to redefine herself and she got into the sport of MMA. I mean, I can't think of a more a harder 180 turn to do. But anyway, so she's training for, for fighting sports. Um, I was doing some weight training with her at that time at the gyms. And she came to me at one point and I had, you know, I had talked to her a little, we had that common interest in, in plant medicines. And she came to me at one point, she said, Hey, I'm taking off for, for four weeks. I'm going to go down to Peru. You know, I'm going to do some retreats down in Peru. I said, awesome. Let me know when you get back. Let's talk about it. I have never even yet talked to somebody who's, who's done this substance. So I'm very, very curious. The person who left, let, let me say that the person who came back after that month was not the person who left to go down. It was amazing. Such a transformation in a person and a vibe and a feeling and just a, an alive person. And she was, she was a great person when she left, but when she came back, I was like, sign me up. I don't know what that is. I don't know what happened, but it was palpable. The difference in her, the problem was I couldn't, just shut down a gym for a month and go, you know, take off. And I wasn't at the point where I felt comfortable with other people running it. The entrepreneur train wreck, that's warning sign number one, that you're in trouble if you can't take time off because you don't trust anybody else to run your business. Yeah. But that's a whole other story. Something else I have gotten over in that time period. But she said, well, I met a shaman down there who is moving back to the U.S. because he wants, he's been down there for seven years. He wants to move back to the U.S. and he's going to be doing medicine work here in the U.S. It's totally on the underground, uh, but I can put you in touch with him if you'd, if you'd like. And I was like, yes. About a month later, I was sitting in my first Aya circle. People ask me, what was the first ceremony like? And I tell everybody, I am no stranger to psychedelics and all the things. <laughs> no stranger whatsoever. And that experience just blew my freaking mind. I said, if my consciousness were a pinata, ayahuasca was a Louisville slugger. Shattered everything, everything. And I, I was hooked. I mean, there was so much growth that I got out of that. And it's been more than 70 now, but 70-ish ayahuasca journeys since. It still interests me. No, no one has ever been like another. Every journey is different. Every, every time I think I have learned everything I can learn, I realize I've only entered the rabbit hole. There is so much more to know. And now I have a very, very good understanding of what medicines are most beneficial for when 
and what could be more beneficial for each individual who's seeking this type of experience? You know, whether it be MDMA, whether it be uh, low dose LSD, whether it be just straight up NLP in coaching with absolutely no medicine, whatever. There are so many combinations that people can use useful combinations. It just kind of depends on each individual. And that's what really interests me now is to work with each individual to find the path that would best suit them. The use of NLP gives a little bit away of what this is all about, if it isn't obvious already, but I want to be really clear on it. What is ayahuasca? What is it? What does it do? And what kind of people are attracted to the work ayahuasca asks of them? So it's kind of a long and complicated answer. I will say that, first of all, what is ayahuasca? What's yeah. it? It's an Amazonian brew that has been around for thousands of years. No one knows when the genesis of this brew's concoction of it coming together, nobody knows. It's been in their Peruvian lineage as long as they know. It is a essentially a DMT delivery system, a natural DMT delivery system that they somehow figured out from all the bazillion of combinations of plants in the Amazon, the Peruvians would say that the plants told them to mix these two plants together. If I remember correctly, it's a combination of the leaf and the bark or the, or some other part of the stem of the plant that creates the uh, psychedelic. Right. So it's the, uh, it's the ayahuasca vine. Vine. Uh, take chunks of the vine and they combine it with uh, chacruna leaves. So the vine is the uh, MAO inhibitor because if you just if you just drank straight uh, DMT from the chacruna leaves, it would get it would never leave the stomach lining. It would get degraded in the stomach. So you have to have the MAO inhibitor along with it so it will transport into the bloodstream and into the brain. Again, how did these people know <laughs> that combination? We don't know. Myriad of combinations. They say the plants told them to combine the two. So, you know, you take that for, for what it's worth. It's 100% natural and therefore you have a much better, much cleaner uptake than you would from a synthetic. And uh, so you get a better experience from it than you do from a synthetic. But what does this plant do to you? Who's chasing this stuff down and why? So what are the reasons people get into ayahuasca and what does it do to you? What happens when you, you mostly drink this as a brew, as you mentioned, it's a brew, so you drink it, right? Who's chasing this stuff and why and what does it do to you? There's a number of different characters that will come in that are drawn to these circles. People who are very, very spiritual minded, looking for spiritual growth, looking for connection to other, um, if I can say, other, whether that be God, whether that be the universe, whether that be Mother Earth, what, whatever their version of other is, you have those people, which would kind of be on one end of the extreme. And then on the other end of this, the extreme, you would have the type A personality entrepreneur who is looking for some kind of growth. And therein kind of lies the problem, right? Because just about every documentary you see about ayahuasca, just about every book you read, most reports that you read online really celebrate the fact that there that it is a tough go, um, that there is lots of being drugged through hell, that there's uh, purging of all sorts. And I mean, bottom end purging, out of the mouth purging, crying, um, shaking, all manner of discomfort 
involved. And that can happen. Yes. Does it happen all the time? No. One of the reasons I got really involved is I saw type A personality entrepreneur after type A personality entrepreneur go down to Peru thinking that progress had to come at some kind of sacrifice and looking for the biggest obstacle that they could sacrifice themselves on or in with and chose ayahuasca is that vehicle. And to a person, they came back more train wrecked than what they went down with. And the reason being is they went down there, had their mind, like my mind was, you know, they had their Louisville slugger taken to the pinata and they had absolutely zero integration idea or methodology when they came back. They just had their consciousness splattered in a 10,000 different pieces and had no way to put these pieces back together again. So in other words, these people went down there to have some sort of uplifting event, however they defined it. And so they got, let's say, three quarters of it through the experience. But that last quarter is critical because you can't just have the experience without some way to integrate that experience into the change you're seeking. I would actually say it's the other way around. I would okay, actually- go ahead. I would actually say the experience itself is about 20%. 80% is the work that's done afterwards. Work as well, but they lost the 80% on the other side. It, and I tell people, you know, ayahuasca is not like taking your, your car to the brake shop, right? Ayahuasca is fixing nothing. It's going to illuminate. It exposes stuff. It exposes a lot of stuff for you, but it's not fixing anything. It's exposed to all this stuff in many corners of your subconscious mind that you had no idea were there. And now you're just kind of adrift with this, you know, and you've got no support mechanism on this side to help you through that. What are you going to do with all that information? That's the downside of it. And that's the integration piece that's missing. So this leads me to my next question. This has been missing for a long time, this integrative piece. How did you see this piece as a missing piece and how do you add it into the work that you do with people? It was a cumulative process. So, uh, so being exposed to Terrence McKenna very early on and Terrence McKenna, he, he didn't necessarily call it integration, but looking back on it now, that's exactly what he, what he was doing. He was like, you can go into these experiences and I want you to go into these experiences because unlike any other thing, you get to actually partake in the experience, right? It's not like religion where it's just like, read the book and believe. No, you're going into the experience. And, and he would talk about, now, you have, to, you have to go into that experience and then take the learnings from that and take them back into the 3D world and do something with that. What did I learn? What, what was important about what I learned? How can I integrate that into my life? What about my personal life do I need to change? And how do I go about doing that? He didn't necessarily call it integration per se, but he talked about this quite a bit. And that got my gears turning, right? This was obviously something I wasn't doing back in my party days. Although I had some great realizations during that time that I was just, (laughs) okay, whatever. Um, It it never did anything with it. But Terrence McKenna was the first one that got me thinking that way. Then as I, as I rolled in and the, the shaman that I worked with for those years, first of all, told me the first retreat I did with him, he said, do not think that this is the only way. He said, what you are going to experience, what you are going to see, ayahuasca just opens the door, shows you what the possibility is. You can get there by meditation. You can get there any way. It's in you. I, the only thing ayahuasca is doing is illuminating what's possible within you. So first of all, go into it with that idea. The second is 
Do not rely on me, right? I am merely a mirror for you. I am a person who understands this plant and I am just a mirror for you. Do not ever become reliant upon me. Two things that I was like, this is my guy. If people are looking for someone to work with, that should be number one. If you ever get the feeling that the person that you're working with is giving you the impression that you can't do this A on your own or B that they are the answer through the medicine, that's a red flag. So he was very intent about that. And he was huge on the integration piece. And he's the first one that actually gave me that ratio. He's like, you know, the, the 80, 20 thing, but 20% is a, the ceremony itself. The 80% is the work after. So I'm an entrepreneur. I'm struggling. I'm an individual struggling with psychological issues or some dysfunction, as you mentioned earlier, that happened in the family growing up that has affected me, that has scarred me. I'm aware of it. It's holding me back. I'm depressed, bipolar. I have these issues. I discover ayahuasca. It sounds like a good vehicle to help open up my mind and look at these problems, see these problems, and to work with them in ceremony. And then following ceremony as I come out, integration. Is integration immediate? Is it the next day? When does integration take place? And I show up. What happens? What does it look like? First of all, the if I'm going to work with somebody, first of all, I determine is ayahuasca even right for them? It might, might not even be right for them, or it might not be right for them right now. There are a lot of other, you know, psilocybin is a beautiful medicine. LSD is a beautiful medicine. MDMA is a beautiful medicine. Sassafras, all of these different medicines are beneficial for for certain people at certain times. You know, ayahuasca is not the only game in town. It's a beautiful game. It's not the only game in town. So first of all, if I'm working with somebody, I nudge them in the right direction. Now, they may come in with a preconceived idea that they're going to, that they want to do ayahuasca and they don't want to hear anything else. I'm just here to help navigate. Sometimes it's, I, I can't give any definites other than a gut feel talking with somebody and kind of finding out their background, finding out what their traumas are, finding out you know, where they are right now, how they're, how they're um, appearing to me right now. Some people are comfortable in group atmospheres, right? An ayahuasca retreat would typically be, depending on how many shaman are there, but you're looking at probably 10 or 12. If there's a shaman and a, uh, what would it be called a, uh, a secondary shaman and uh, a couple of ayudantes or helpers, that's kind of the ratio that you're looking for, 10 or 12, maybe 15 if the group is experienced. You know, no more than 10 if you have a bunch of newbies there because it's the shaman's going to be working. If there's new people in the group, the shaman is working. And when I say work, they are humping for six hours. I don't know how they do it. It's tiring being an Ayudante. Ayudante is what, what I do because I am not versed in the ayahuasca medicine. I know the atmosphere. I know the playing field, but I don't feel comfortable myself working with that medicine. So I'll bring in a shaman. I feel comfortable working with psilocybin, MDMA, and LSD. And, th and th that's what I feel comfortable working with. But all of that said, it really depends on the person. I've worked with people who, for whatever reason, do not feel comfortable in a group situation. And safety is paramount. So for a person to be able to dive in and go deep and deal with the, potentially deal with the traumas that they're going to deal with, the number one Number one, they have to feel safe in the container. Otherwise, they're never going to get to where they need to go because they're, they're going to be on guard the entire time. Some people are never going to get there in a group. Some people have to be one-on-one -on -one all the time. Some people, it's one-on-one. -on -one. 
get a feel for the landscape, how to navigate these different medicines. And then, you know, maybe you want to transition into a group. So it really depends on the, really depends on the individual. I know that's a, a weasel way out of the question, but it really does. And people just pull a straw and say, I'm going to go do an IR retreat and more power to you. It may go beautiful for you, or it may go extremely south. You're going to be confronted with things that you may not be ready to be confronted with. One of the things you have to do when you're preparing somebody for one of these ceremonies, we call it a trip, and they can last anywhere depending on the amount you take from, uh, you mentioned six hours. It, it, it's a typical IAM ceremony is four to six hours, and then a couple of hours of kind of getting your feet, your sea legs back. One of the things you, you have to prepare people for is they are going to go on a journey. And I don't mean a journey of life. I mean, it's a, it is a journey of life, but it's another life. And it feels and looks and, and tastes every bit is real. All of a sudden, when the stuff hits, you just take a step to the right and you're in a whole nother world with the same consciousness. But I want you to explain, if you would, a little more, what does that journey look like as, as I put it, as you step into this other very, what appears to be anyway, very real other world. What happens when you take one of these plant-based medicines? Describe it. What is it? What do you see? What goes on? It is otherworldly. And I will say that there are times when I am, it, it, we call it the drop-in, right? So there, there is a period of time where you, and it comes in waves. The first wave will kind of knock you back on your heels. You feel very um, kind of here, not here. You're trying to, you're trying to hang on to this reality. I think it is a very mammalian response not to let go easily, right? Because it, it can feel like you are losing yourself or you're quote unquote dying, or it's called ego death. A lot of times it's very, very difficult to explain, but there is a feeling within your body that you are slipping away from this reality to the extent that somebody tries to, to hold on and really grasp and, and shake themselves back to this reality, that can make for a rough entry point, right? Because your central nervous system is fired up, you're, you know, you're panicking, um, and all of that feeling is coursing through your body. So one of the first things that I tell people to prepare is, and this is easier said than done, is when you feel that first wave come on, relax into it, breathe into it, everything is going to be okay, everybody comes back, Everybody comes back. Keep telling that to yourself over and over in your mind. Breathe deep. Comfortable at first, but you're going to be fine. There's all manner of experiences. I, I mean, I could go on. Every experience I've had, every experience I've had with DMT in general. So I've had ayahuasca and also bufo, which is a frog poison. It's kind of a rocket ship ride. Same chemical, DMT, just different delivery system. So Bufo lasts maybe 30 minutes where ayahuasca again lasts, you know, four to six hours. I have experienced 70 plus different, totally different experiences in all of these things. There's it, even, it, it's even kind of hard to put a theme on what the experiences are. Um, you know, people will tell you that they've spoken to God. They've spoken to loved ones that have passed. They've gone into different realities. They've, had, they've been downloaded with information they either do understand or don't understand. I've had experiences that were so incredibly deep and mind-bending. I'll say one of the things that surprised me on ayahuasca, the first time that I ever experienced this, was every, every time that I had done even big doses of psychedelics prior whether that be, especially with uh, LSD and psilocybin, 
no matter how bizarre a world or unworldly or how deep I went, there was always a piece, maybe a small piece, but a piece in my mind that said, this is pretty freaking crazy, but remember you're tripping. You are tripping. There was a little piece of my mind that would just kind of call in and go, yeah, the Martian over there, that's, yeah, you're tripping. <laughs> this is very, very cool, but you're in a reality that you're not normally in. You will be back to your other reality. Remember that. I have lost that in ayahuasca and definitely in Bufo before. So whatever reality I am in, it might as well be the reality I'm in right now. That, it is your reality. For all intents and purposes, I've just yep. been stepped through a portal and ended up in yep. somewhere else, good and bad. Right. I've been in situations where I thought I was in, quote unquote, hell. That was it. I was going to be there forever. So why do I want to do this if I think I'm going to see hell? Why do I want to start popping some stuff, some meds, some brew? That's going to take me to hell. I mean, what do I want to be confronted with? Life's hard enough. What am I going to get out of this? I'm already in pain and functional. So why does one want to take that risk? What's the upside of, of that much more pain? And it's not, first of all, it's not always 46 hours of pain. I've had many experiences that it was bliss the entire time. Absolute bliss. Like I can't even explain the bliss. I've had others where it's been a mixed bag. I've had bliss and I've, you know, been through hell and back and back to bliss and, and it's a mixed bag. You don't always, you know, it's, it's the song, you, you know, you don't always get what you want, but you always get what you need. What, whatever you experience at that time is exactly what you need. That's what you needed to be confronted with. And so here's what I found out after doing all of this work, you know, all of this self-work, all of this work, working with other people. This is one truth that I've come across that no matter the trauma, and I've worked with people, Craig, I can't even, I, I, I can't even iterate to you the kinds of traumas that I have seen, the life stories. It, it, they make my traumas look like I'm just like, uh, that was a skip in the park. I can't, even, I can't even imagine going through some of the things that some of these people have gone through. But to a person, if they can get into a, into a space where they can deal with that trauma, both with a little bit of objectivity, which is what the psychedelics can give you, with a little bit of objectivity and come away with a learning from that trauma and come back. And this is very important too, and integrate that learning, realize what that learning is. Number one, number two, be able to forgive the trespasser or the situation, whether it's a person or a situation full on forgive. And number three, take 100% responsibility for the situation and I know those are tall orders for people. They're, they're impossible for some people starting out. They're like, there's no way. I might be able to look at it objectively. I might be able to get the learnings, but there's no way I can forgive. And there is no way that I can take responsibility for it. But if you work with people in these situations and coach them through it, coach them through it, coach them through it, they can get to a position where they can do all three of those. And once that is done, that trauma vanishes. The emotion tied to that trauma vanishes. It doesn't matter what the trauma is, how horrible it is. I've seen it time and time again. Once again, thanks for listening, folks, and stand by for part three. You've been listening to the Who Are You podcast, brought to you by Biotropic Labs, sports performance supplements for people who move. Join us next time for another edition of the Who Are You podcast.